0: Have you ever felt you had something to share with the world, but you just didn't know the best way to make people pay attention? I have awesome clients who inspire me every day because of the amazing ways these entrepreneurial women bring their unique value to the world. It's truly courageous to say, hey world, listen to my show, read my book, tune into my YouTube channel. They've found it within themselves a deeply held belief that needed to be coaxed to the surface. They believe they have something of value to share with the world. And you do too. Over the next few weeks, I'm gonna be hosting a series of video chats to answer questions. The kinds of questions my clients ask all the time. Should I host a podcast? I'd love to write a book, but how can I fit that into my schedule? I'm writing a book. How do I build a launch team? Going to events exhausts me How do I choose the right ones to build my network? How do I stop wasting time at networking events and start making the right kinds of connections? This Thursday, the video chat I'm hosting is focused on whether or not writing a book would be a good way to spend your limited time and energy and whether writing a book would help support your business goals. Sign up for this free video chat at robbysamuels.com forward slash book dash F-A-Q-S. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash book dash F-A-Q-S. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest believes it is a myth that leadership skills cannot be learned. He knows that most leaders have learned through the school of hard knocks, good training, years of hard work, effective coaching, and from great mentors. He hosts the Coaching for Leaders podcast, one of the top-rated career podcasts on iTunes with over 150,000 downloads per month. He founded Coaching for Leaders Academy, a year-long leadership development cohort for managers, executives, and business owners to develop their leadership excellence and empower each other through global relationship building. As a Dale Carnegie instructor, Dave has led training programs for top organizations, including the United States Air Force the Boeing Company, and the Northrop Grumman Corporation. Please join me in welcoming Dave Stachowiak. Robbie. glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks so much for joining me, Dave, from your office in Orange County, California. I just want to jump right in. This is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, it's more when I learned I didn't have the skills to lead,
1: but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tackle that one second since you asked the leadership question first. I see leadership as the where to go and the management as the how to get there. And probably hmm. my favorite thinker on this is John Cotter, who's out of Harvard and teaches a lot about change. And he says, leadership is really about how you handle change and management's how you handle complexity. Now, the interesting thing with both of those is that... They both involve people, right? So either way, you're involved in a lot of relationships and influencing people. And that leads to your second question, which is thinking about leadership. The first time I did any serious thinking about leadership was my first job when I was... uh, First time, rather, being a leader was probably my, my sophomore, junior year in college. I was managing a team of student employees, about 20 or 30 employees. And it was a summer leadership job so there was six or seven weeks over the summer that we were managing uh, this big team and at the end of the summer the person who was running this organization um, had all of us solicit feedback through surveys from our employees and i very clearly remember uh, one of the, uh, the one of the honest people who uh, uh-huh. feedback survey saying uh, dave really needs to get a backbone <laughs> and so it was and it was I remember it and it was painful to hear because it was true. I didn't really know what I was doing as far as I I knew what worked when you told people what to do and they followed instructions. So from a purely like logistical standpoint, I got that piece. But when things didn't quite work right or there was change or there was ambiguity, I discovered in that first job, I had a hard time with that and I didn't Mm. know what I was doing. And that was kind of what started me, Robbie, on this first beginning point of, how do I get better at doing this? That's when I first discovered Zig Ziglar and Seven Habits, Highly Effective People and some of that, that, that the work that was out there, time and started thinking like, oh, I am going to need to get better at this if I'm going to be successful in,
0: <laughs> outside of my college career. Right. It's, it's not just telling people what to do, but inspiring them, right? And when there's ambiguity, knowing how to lead people through it, it's so interesting I can't see anyone describing you today as not having a backbone. <laughs> so, so it's remarkable. We're, did you have opportunities even before that to step into leadership? Or were you kind of the standing on the side of the room, kind of watching things? Like, kind of how were you? Did people see that potential in you?
1: I, I was, I'm, a, I'm a shy kid from the Midwest who was always the kid who was the last person to raise his hand in class when I was a kid. Uh, didn't have a lot of friends when I was a child and really always struggled with some of the social parts of interacting with people. So for me, I never, I mean, I saw the potential in myself a bit that I felt like I could get better at this. And I, I had always had that spark of like I could do a better job at this. And I I felt like I had something i wanted to contribute to the world but no no track record <laughs> i mean if there had been an award for least popular student in high school or anything like that i would have won it <laughs> so, well, if people had known enough about you to even you know nominate you <laughs> well exactly, exactly. And, yeah. I, and i don't want to paint a picture of like someone who was i mean in some ways i i knew what i did well which is I was a very good academic student. I was very good at checking the boxes. I got very good grades. But when I left high school, I remember telling myself, "I'm going to do a better job when I get to college of actually building relationships." And um and and I did in college have a much better. Um, and that was one of the reasons I ended up in that job in college. Um, I, I did a much better job putting my time and energy in getting better at influencing people. And my grades suffered. My grades are pretty mediocre from college, actually. Um, but what I really learned was the value of how do you work with people? And that I am so grateful for in my college experience.
0: Yeah, it seems like a transferable skill that you will use the rest of your life, right? Like that's been paying off ever since. I can see a lot of people who have risen through the ranks into manager, just positions that could be leader positions, but they don't they don't take it to that level because they don't know that critical piece you just described, which is actually the people part. Mm-hmm. They it, when things don't go well, that's where you need leaders. Like when things are going well, yeah. you need a manager just to kind of move things along, right? It's I love this sort of distinction there. So. You host a podcast, you know, which is about coaching leaders. <laughs> so it's really fascinating to have you describe yourself as this sort of you know, shy kid from the Midwest who, you know, has risen to this point where you're also now sharing what you've learned from all the best people. It seems like you've read all the the, the you've read you've read all the all the books that need to be read. Right and now, you're like, okay, what can I share with people? What do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today?
1: I am really privileged right now to be in a place where I get to be helpful to people a lot. Uh, An audience has shown up that's uh, big enough at this point that we've built a business around the podcast and around the academy. And that's really exciting to see happen. But the part that's really fun for me is getting to see every day um, things that we do as far as bringing in Content into the show, or bringing in authors, or bringing in ideas that then help people to perform better in the workplace, mm. to grow their careers. But probably even more importantly than that, Robbie, it's seen people take joy out of their work, to have better work-life balance with their kids. I mean, so there's so many pieces that come up again and again that are just for me
0: a joy each day, and I just I love doing it it feels like you can also really identify with where they're coming from when this is something they're not feeling confident in. And yet you can say like, you know, the follow me, like you have the, you have the, the more typical story of like, I was like this, I figured a way around it. Let me show you how, um, On the other hand, I'm an outgoing extrovert who teaches people (laughs) how to work a room and build relationships that are based on authenticity, right? Right, And they're like, yeah, yeah, of course you know how to do that, Robbie. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, no, no, but don't be like me. Like, let me find a way for you to do it in your own voice. Um, So you probably also have had to find ways to work with quite a range, I imagine, of types of of people who... I mean, I, I find a lot of people don't think of themselves as leaders. Like, my whole show is based on the premise of teaching... Networking in the context of leadership, so that it's it's not in like a vacuum, right? Like, if you get to a level of success in your career, you 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 know how to do relationships, like you get that part. And I have all these people on who are excelling in their field. And when I yeah. ask them this question, a lot of them say, "Well, I'm not really a leader," <laughs> and yeah, it's well, like,
1: and "Wow!" It's leadership for me, as I mentioned earlier, is about is about change, and it's about relationships. So it's not position. It's, right. it's rarely position. Um, it's, it's certainly not title. It's about, can I, as a, uh, as a leader, influence the world in a positive way? And so there's so many places that that comes up. That comes up certainly in the business world. It comes up as a parent. My, my biggest job in leadership is being a dad to a six-year- old mm. and a four year old right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes up in marriage, it comes up in my personal relationships. And so it, so it's not for me, it's not about position, it's about skill. And I really do think it's a skill. And to your point, the, the reason this emerged, I, I think some of the best stuff out there comes from when people were struggling with something, and needed something to scratch their own itch. And for me yeah. that's where coaching for leaders came from. Yeah. I, this is the podcast I wanted and wasn't there 7 right. years ago when it started. It was I wanted there to be a show that regularly um that regularly brought in great content that was consistent that had good audio quality and 7 years ago there
0: wasn't a show that did all three of yeah, those. Yeah, that's a long time, right.
1: And I wanted also a community because leadership is a really lonely thing a lot of days. And we see so much of this out in mm-hmm. society of how there's there's this want and this desire to have authentic human connection. And so for me, that's part of what came out of Coaching for Leaders is, is doing that in a way that was really authentic.
0: So I actually was curious about whether people are reluctant to align themselves with your message because you use the word leaders. Do you find anyone who feels... Like reluctant, like I don't belong in this space. I need I need these skills, but I don't know if it's for me. Like, or are you like serving like a self-identified group of people who are like self-selecting into the space? Like, how? How? I'm just curious because again, like hosting a podcast that has leadership as a premise, I've never had a chance to ask another host around that question.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's a it's a question I've thought a lot about now, less so earlier, and I say that because I've had people reach out to me and email and even some of our Academy members who said, I initially didn't listen to your show because I didn't consider myself to be a leader. And that, that was, that's interesting to me because going back to the definition again of, I don't see leadership as a position. I see leadership as a skill set that we can all learn. So um, that's one of the reasons that uh, the tagline is, uh, leaders aren't born, they're made. Has, has really stuck with the show. Um, and it, in fact, I had thought about changing the tagline at one point, and I got a bunch of feedback from people who said, no, I really like the tagline, because when I heard that, I realized that this was for me. This was a show I could listen to. It wasn't just about someone showing up with this innate ability to lead and the rest of us following them. It's, it's something more than that. And I do absolutely believe, uh, virtually everyone has some natural talents in some areas. And there are people, of course, who have natural talents and strengths in areas that uh, absolutely help them to influence and handle change and handle human relationships better. Uh, Robbie, you're a great example of someone who's naturally gifted to uh, go and build relationships and walk into a room and get to know people really quickly. That is a huge struggle for me. I don't do that well. So I've really had to learn that skill over the years. But that said, um, it is a learnable skill. As are so many other things in leadership, the areas that you probably are not as strong at um, are things that come more naturally to me. And so, uh, for me, uh, it's it's about it's about the path of learning on this of what do you how do you tap into your strengths, so the things you do really well, and then how do you do what most of us need to do in our our professional lives, certainly, and certainly in our personal lives too. Is how do I get better at the things that I really want to and need to get better at in order to be reasonably good at doing some of the key parts of my job or the key parts of being a parent
0: or in a relationship that all of us need to be at least decent at. It seems like a lot of uh, self-awareness. And once they get into your show, they're they're like, oh, I really, this can apply to me. It's it's great. It sounds like also one of the challenges you had with the way you named the show and like the structure of it. What else was sort of challenging as you made this shift into this? And You've built a whole business. Like, what do you, what's the part of it that you're not that good at? <laughs> you're, you you know you've you've got you got a handle on it but you're also like it kind of kept growing. So what are the pieces that you're like, "Well, that's great, but it's not my piece." Oh, where I uh, maybe got inspired by someone else along the well, way. I'm just thinking, I mean, what is the challenge as you're, you know, as you moved into all of this? This is uh-huh. You know, a big new facet of your of your life and You've had to build it from scratch. And that's the entrepreneur in you, right? To like Yeah. Yeah. To not just make it a podcast, but to make it a whole community and a course. And yeah. Well, it didn't start that way, is the short
1: answer. So seven years ago when this started. I didn't have. If I was doing this again today, I would do it very differently in some ways. And in some ways, I'd be like, you know, it was perfect, so why would I change? Go back and change it. But if I was starting this again, if I was coaching someone on how to start a podcast and build a platform online, oh my goodness, I would have had made so many different decisions. I would have had, uh, you know, we would have had a much clearer target market. We would have had a much clearer message. We would have had a marketing plan. I mean, literally, Robbie, the way this started. Was I thought it would be cool to have a podcast? Let me do these three three things well, and I put up a listing on iTunes, and that was it. And I just started recording shows. There was no <laughs> strategy. There was no there was no business revenue plan at all for the show for the first five years. Literally, the show did not generate a dollar of anything, um, other than a couple of, of you know a couple coaching clients here and there. But even that, I wasn't really doing because I was still doing so many other things professionally. Um, so it, it, it's the way it started. What I did differently in this project than I've done almost anything else in my life, other than perhaps parenting, <laughs> is, um, is I didn't have it figured out when I started it. And I think for most of us who have been through a lot of training, a lot of good education, gone to good schools, been told all of our lives that we need to get 100%, 95 is okay. If you get below 89%, you are going to start to get concerned that you're not doing it right. Um, what I did with Coaching for Leaders is because I couldn't, I didn't have the time to spend, I only had an hour or two a week, is I started with something that was mediocre. And I did the part I knew I could do, and I iterated from there. And so I didn't know I was doing this at the time, but it really was very much the lean startup approach of like that minimum viable product. Uh, the book Absolutely. just become so popular. Um, and there's another book that I've, I've grown to love that of an author I had on the show, and the book's called The Beautiful Constraint. And it's all about this, that creativity tends to emerge when you don't have a lot of time and resources, Mm. you figure out a way to make it work. And so coaching for leaders was that from the very beginning, it was, what can I do in the hour or two I have a week to make this work and to have this be useful and valuable to people? And it not be a revenue thing and it not be a business thing. It just be a, here is something I want to do because I believe it is needed and and I want to give something to the world and I'm having fun doing it. And maybe someday it turns into something. But that's how it started. And I think because it started that way and because it was iterative uh, along the way of making changes and tweaks, that's what... I think that's one of the strengths, is I didn't have it all figured out. All, I mean, you can go back and listen to the first couple episodes. They're not great. <laughs> I mean, they're not awful. I'm I'm, I'm proud of them for what they were at the time, but I would do them differently if I was doing it today. They
0: always say that you should judge a podcast on the last three, not the first three episodes. <laughs> I, I sure hope so. <laughs> Thank goodness. When I was launching my podcast, I like you, you know, a few hours a week to dedicate to this. And now I have a a small team that helps me pull it off. Um, But I listened to the first episode of a lot of the shows that I had really grown to love, including, you know, when we were first getting on, we were talking about how uh, Pat Flynn has influenced us around our microphone choices. (laughs) So I went back and listened to his first episode. You know, I just sort of like, it was good to realize where people start, you know, and that part of the reason you're good at it is because you've been doing it for so long. And well, also consistency, the fact that you are still doing it. I think that's true for any project that people take on. This is a takeaway. Hopefully people can apply to their own life even though they're not going to host a podcast. You have to start somewhere and know you're going to get better at it it's just by, by doing it. And you're not going to get better by reading about it. You know, you want to keep reading, but you have to actually keep doing, and I think there's like a, a balance there, If not everyone kind of finds the, the mix in it. Um, a book actually, we were mentioning great books, a, a book that I actually uh, got on here. Um, I was just interviewed by um, Mike McCallowitz, and uh, I have his book, Profit First. <laughs> it's really making me think about like how I can shift my, my uh, models a little bit. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, this is really good information. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to him because it's really like one of those books. It's like, oh, why didn't I, I've been looking for this. You know, I think when you're starting, you just kind of like, you kind of pull it together. So it sounds like you've, you've managed quite a bit. You've, you've got the home life too, like me. Um, one of the questions I always want to ask people though is, is about that balance. I don't know whether it's, uh, I don't want to call it, it's not really work-life balance. It's a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, it's like, um, it, it maybe work-life integration. <laughs> it's a little better. So. But what does it look like for you? And, and in particular, do you have moments in your schedule where you know you're not at work? Like you, it's absolutely not work time or are you the kind of person who's it's, it's always going on in your brain and that's just how it is?
1: Oh, uh, I think for sure there's an element of integration for all of us these days. Um, and uh, I love the term used. In fact, Scott Barlow, uh, who's a, a friend of mine, has been on the show a couple of times, uh, used that exact term of saying, you know, work-life balance is kind of dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more work-life integration because in a world of smartphones and, you know, the internet and all those things, it's amazing to me how often I've, people are on vacation. I still get email responses. Um, and and i do the same thing too sometimes when i'm on vacation so it's it's it, this has become a world now of how do we navigate and manage a lot of competing demands so i don't i don't i try not to have a lot of hard and fast boundaries there are some things that we have boundaries on so my wife and i both work full time but we also both get to work out of our home for the most part uh, my office is based here she's a university professor so she's on campus a bunch but she also is based out of home so it is um it is a it is an exercise every week of juggling schedules, uh, figuring out who's on, who's off. We have kind of a, like a biweekly schedule. Uh, so I'm more of uh, you know <laughs> more of the quote unquote parent in the afternoons one week and she is the second week, and so we kind of alternate that way. We don't have it perfectly figured out by any means. I mean, and we have every advantage, Robbie. I mean, we have uh, both of us have really great flexibility in our work. We both get to work from home. Uh, We have a couple of folks who help us out with uh, babysitting, you know, once or twice a week. And even in our situation, I mean, we have it as good as we could have it uh, out there. We've got the resources to be able to hire people occasionally, and yet we still find that it's a struggle. Um, And so I can't even imagine being like a single parent and trying to navigate professional life and handling kids and all that. I mean, it's I'm just so impressed by some of the people I know who are single parents who are able to do that well. Uh, but for us, it's a lot of communication. So we sit down every Sunday night, my wife and I, and we walk through the week's calendar and we talk about what's important and who's got uh, yeah. who's got time to give this week and who's got something really big coming up that they need flexibility and support with, and we make it work. It is a constant conversation. It has to be. And I'm I'm a believer that the root of every human conflict, disagreement, argument really comes from unclear expectations. Mm. So we try to both of us be as proactive as we can be about being really clear about what we need from each other, when we need it, what our schedules look like. And sure, things change uh, as they always do. Um, but uh, when they change, it's a lot easier if we've spent that time having good expectations. With
0: each well, you've given me a lot to think about, Dave, because you're a couple of years ahead of me with the children. And I'm thinking about how life's going to get any more complicated. It's not, as much as it feels complicated now, it will become more so. But I will say that Having shared Google calendars where I can see my wife's schedule and she can see mine completely changes the game. And when I meet people who like one of them uses paper still, <laughs> I'm like, how do you do that as a couple? How do you do that as a family? Um, so I love like, all the little productivity tips. And it sounds like for you, there's always a balance of not really clear, hard, fast boundaries, but you, you get it all in somehow. Um, it it is more of that integration. And I think a big piece of it seems that you're still working at building relationships, that that is a part of your work. And it does seem like it takes effort um, to maintain those connections. You must have met in the last seven years, just, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Whenever you go anywhere, there are people who know you, which is, it sounds like very different than your earlier life. (laughs) When, you know, you didn't have to worry about that. Are you doing something purposeful to nurture and sustain those kinds of connections, those like second and third tier circles of people who are not you know not people you're working with directly, but the colleagues, the people that you're like oh i I like those people i I enjoy them, but I see them once a year at a conference, like do you have a system yeah. or a plan around that? I probably should have a better one. Uh, my system is
1: the podcast and the community that's built around the podcast, and When I meet people at conferences or if we do a meetup for listeners or clients who I don't regularly otherwise have a reason to connect, um, I, like anyone, try to do a good job of keeping in touch with people. And I probably fall short most of the time on most of those second and third tier relationships that are not the people I interact with daily or not current clients. Um, And so I... The thing that I love about being able to do the podcast is it allows people who want to keep that connection with me there. Um, and I do hear from many of them and I do reach out to people. Um, but I, because I'm not great at the second and third, and I don't know a lot of people who are. Um, uh, w- one person who is, is uh, John Corcoran, who I noticed as uh, you know as well and is a reference. got a great quote on your book. Um, he's really gifted at that. And he's got a whole system. Of how he connects fifty conversations, people. Yeah, he's really impressive on that. But he's he's an exception for sure. Um, Most people are not great at that, and I'm not. I'm not very good at that either. So I really look at, um, I I really look at you know who are the most important people in my life. You know, friends, family members, certainly clients, of course. And uh, from there, um, I I don't have a like a like a. A TikTok system or anything like that, where I've got something that alerts me. I did have that. I've tried that before. It doesn't work for me. For me, it's a little too forced, and so I try to more these days go with the philosophy of when I think about someone, I reach out. Mm-hmm. And it seems really simple in a way, but I, um, when I find when I do that, that that is really authentic. Then,
0: so John Corcoran probably dropped the most detailed tips uh, of all of my guests like you're right he's an he's really really skilled in this area uh, that's episode 33 and the other person who comes to mind from what you just said is Susan Rowan who 30 years ago wrote the book how to work a room so she's kind of the godmother of this space And episode 35 she talks about what she calls um, making hey phone calls which are how are you calls and yeah. I think that we have gotten away from that and so When I do this now, when I'm like out with my kids for a walk and I've got like 15 minutes to go somewhere, you know, they're asleep in their stroller and I'll just think, well, who's around right now? And even if I'm just leaving a voicemail and then often people will actually reply via email to say how nice it was to get the message, (laughs) but it will sort of continue the conversation. And sometimes you catch people live and you get a nice few minutes with people just to check in. And I think you're right. Like when you think of it, just kind of act on it. I think too often... We don't make space in our life for those moments because we're just over scheduling ourselves. And any moments that used to be downtime are now filled with doing. uh, Even like when you're waiting at the bus stop or you're on your commute, like you're still consuming content, uh, flipping through Facebook mindlessly. And like you could be taking the time right there to make a five minute phone call. So um, I always tease people that the device in your pocket actually makes like voice calls. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it does. I need to get better at that. Um, I would say I'm pretty mediocre, maybe even poor at that. And um, one thing that I am, and perhaps this is uh, you know, explanation or excuse, I don't know, but I I try to focus on a couple of things I do really well. And I don't worry so much about the things I don't do as well. Um, Keeping connections uh, with people who are outside of my daily, that is not something I do terribly well. Um, The podcast allows for some of that but uh, but that's something I probably should get a little better at doing and I'd probably have some better relationships if I did <laughs> with some of those connections
0: what what's kind of cool is when you when you start to do some of this is that the people who circle back into your life I always think that you know, it's another one of these 8020 rules you know 80% of everyone you need to know you've already met and, and then there's like the 20% you still have to sort of strategize. We forget the 80%. Like we're always trying to hunt down meeting new people. But if you work with someone 5, 10, 15 years ago and you liked each other, even if you're in a different field today and everything about you has changed, it's generally a good person. Then like if you're in their hometown at a conference, like you reach out, right? And see if you can line a yeah. coffee because you don't know what will happen next. Like. Yeah. And 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 you already have the baseline, and you're not starting from scratch, and it's not really awkward, and you know, uh, and and they want to like hear what you're up to, right? They're going to be excited for the update, and that's the thing I think people forget about.
1: Yeah, and you said something big a minute ago. So to give myself perhaps a little more credit than I may be giving myself here is the, uh, you know, the the thought of you know I already know most of the people I need to know. I have always been more of a quality person than a quantity person mm. by nature of just my personality, being more introverted. Um, and I've really built my business around that. So mm. for example, there's only 40 or 50 people who are part of our academy. And it is a very small, intimate group intentionally. And it is intentionally at a very high price point because it is much more about a lot of personal um very intimate interactions and not about having thousands of people in a like uh, you know a 20 or 25 dollar a month membership right because I'm not good at that yeah. that is not my skill set that is not my strength could I do that if I had to sure I would learn the skills to do that and I've been in situations where I've done that in my career but my natural strength is to spend a lot more time making a stronger connection with um, with individuals and so now we've built the business around that. So rather than trying to force something that is not a strength, um, you know, I mean, in some ways, the podcast is a larger community, but that's that's easy because, uh, you know, uh, it, it takes just as much effort to build a great show for one person as it does for 20,000 people. Yeah, once a many. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's easy to replicate. But relationships, coaching, interaction, that is not something that easily replicates, nor should it. And so that's why the business has been built that way.
0: I'm really glad you're naming all of this because too often entrepreneurs are seen. People who want to become an entrepreneur that I work with, they say like, "Oh, that's about being really like very outgoing and very extroverted." Like really linking those things to the word entrepreneur. And yet, like in so many in so many ways, I mean, I, I'm a National Speakers Association member, and so many of the speakers that I know who are fantastic on stage, truly dynamic, are introverts. Like. That takes all of their energy and they don't know how to work a room because they're like, I don't want to be in the room anymore. I'm, I have gave it all <laughs> on stage. And I think that's true. Entrepreneurs can come in all stripes, but not enough people see themselves in what you're describing and they try to become something they're not. And so they fail. Whereas you're like, I know I'm really good at this particular way of building relationships, uh, which is significant and important. And I can I can do it well. I'd rather excel. Uh, this way then like force myself into a model that the other else is doing. I think it takes I don't know some discipline and some self-reflection and awareness and I hope people hear that because Don't just follow the path that everyone else is doing if it doesn't feel like it's the right one um, You know find yourself a lot of different archetypes of what it could look like as you're kind of advancing your own career one of the things I'm curious in relation to this though is about how you think about diversifying the network that you have You know, like that whole theory of, you know, your most innovative ideas come from the edges of your professional network. So is that something you're intentional about? Has it sort of happened based on the kind of work you do? Or do you find that that's an area that you could see maybe expanding?
1: Yeah, in some ways, I think I've been very intentional about that. In other ways, not so much. So I think it depends on how we define the word diversity. So if we look at the word diversity in the broadest sense of the term, of looking for the best ideas out there, thinking about, uh, all kinds of like different industries, different backgrounds, different political beliefs, um, uh, different uh, experiences. In that way, I think I've done a pretty good job just through the curation of the show. So, by virtue of the fact that the our audience is very broad, they have lots of questions. I get lots of questions and, and um, from our audience about wanting to hear about certain types of issues. And and if I don't know the answer, which almost always I don't, or I'm like, oh, this is this is something that would be good for us to explore. I'm on the hunt for who's going to be someone who has something of value to say to our audience on that. And so sometimes that means we have people on the show that I might not necessarily agree with or who you know, I wouldn't necessarily invite to dinner mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't, you know, they're not the person I agree with either politically or you know, they're just not the kind of personality I'd, I'd never normally associate with. But what I have learned is that everyone has something to teach me. So uh, I make decisions about who comes on our show by, do they have something useful for our audience to hear, first and foremost? And that can come from anywhere. And so mm-hmm. while we have New York Times bestselling authors on the show and people who are big names, we also have a lot of people on the show who are just from my personal network who I think have really valuable things to say or I have stumbled across in another part of my career um, who are who have a message that's really important for audience to hear. And I get the benefit of <laughs> learning that too. That's the beauty of it because I'm having those conversations. And so I'm learning right along with our audience. So I think in that way, I've done a pretty good job at looking at things that are diverse. Uh, where I have fallen short uh, is probably on what we would think of in some more the traditional terms of the word diversity of, you know, for example, um, race and gender. Uh, so when I look at the guest list that's been on the show over the last seven years, I'm disappointed that there's not more diversity, especially for people of color, that have been represented on that show. And so, I suppose that there's. I was in. Um, I was in a local bookstore just last weekend. We, uh, after church, we the kids and I were walking through the bookstore, and I happened to stop at the shelf of the top business books. Top business picks was the shelf that was labeled at the store, and there were. Uh, th- I started looking through the books and I was like there's a lot of white dudes on this <laughs> which is not a surprise like I I yeah. fully expect that um, but I was just it, it was striking to me how many so I started counting there were 28 books on the shelf 27 of them were by white dudes wow and I was thinking like well that's that says something in 2018 that I walk into a bookstore and still and this is a huge problem in our industry in um, leadership literature, learning and development, we still, I mean, management in general, I mean, just look around corporate America. Sure. Still is dominated by the ideas from white men. And so now I'm conscious as a white man saying this that, you know, that's, that there's a little bit of irony here, of course. Um, so in some ways, I feel like I've bridged the gap a little bit on the show. We've done really good with gender, we've done really good with politics, um, we've done good with other aspects of diversity. Um, I, I need to do better there. And so one of the things that I'm doing is trying to be more intentional about what are the conversations I can put myself into online. Because as a white person of privilege who's grown up in a place where I've mostly been in privileged situations, um, there are certain things I don't even think about, mm. much less uh, much less think to ask the right questions on. Right, right. Um, so that's, that's something that's always, it's been top of mind for me for the last year or two of being more intentional about that. Well, also not doing something that I think is trivializes the issue by saying, oh, we're going to have so many people of color on these shows and putting like ratios and all. I don't think that that is helpful. And I think that trivializes something that's much more complex than that. Um, But being mindful of what are the conversations and the relationships I can build where... Because I see that I have a responsibility as someone who has a voice in this space to move the conversation forward in a way that brings diversity and
0: in view for everyone so it's great and i'm really glad you are thinking about it it's an important issue and i mean for me like i won't have two men in a row week to week on my show i'll have two women now and again just because the way like the episodes roll out yeah but it's like i i just won't do it because then you'll go to my website and like the last three episodes will be men (laughs) you know that kind of thing it's like ah you know people won't see themselves and i i I think the diversity piece is important because so much of this is word of mouth. You know, like you said, there's the best-selling authors, but then there's the people you just kind of know. And so in some ways, by diversifying your own personal network, you are making it more possible for you to think of those people, right? Like you'll you'll just know them. Um, and I will offline make some recommendations to you people that I've interviewed that I think would be uh, good for your show that might oh, help you in this Rebel. area. Uh, Stephanie, Stephanie Chung comes to mind as one of them. She yeah. is... Um, a woman of color who uh, moved her way through uh, her career by selling private jets. <laughs> um, oh wow! This is a very white male-dominated space, and she also was imagine. not a. She's not a pilot, <laughs> so <laughs> it's very interesting. So today she coaches people on sales on very high-end sales. Uh, she's a high-ticket sales coach, is what she her moniker. And when we were talking about relationship building, there was just like this, you know, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that, you know, like you know, because so much of what I'm teaching people, she has to get because when you're dealing at that high level, it's all relationships. No one is gonna buy from you without that when you're when the ticket price is 50 grand or hundred grand or three hundred grand or whatever. I don't even know what these things cost, right? Millions of dollars. She's literally overseen millions of dollar contracts. And so she really innately has gotten that piece, and that's what she's helping me with, so that's someone I think really fits well with uh with your show as well since it's about coaching and leadership, and she clearly has both um but yeah, I think this is a part where I actually wish that more podcast hosts could kind of get together and like help each other because it is all word of mouth we all there's certain people who do the circuit, and I feel like we could help other people join that circuit um kind of broaden the network and we're uh, we all have
1: a responsibility for this um i've in- there, there's still not enough uh, leadership shows uh, out there, uh, podcasts out there. There's certainly not enough. Who uh, there's for sure space for more women, for more uh, people of color to be building audiences, right? Um, like some of us have, and um, and and speaking into this space, and and I I feel responsibility to help. Do that, Um, and so that's part of where I'm thinking right now. And that's going to be this is not a this is not one of those things where like oh next week I'll have this figured out. Um, It's been something I've been actively thinking about and taking some steps on over the last year or two, and um, and I'll be continuing to work on it because I think that it's really important. And uh, as someone who cares a lot about that in the world, um, I want us to move closer to that. At the same time, I also want to um, you know continue to make sure that I'm. Doing a really good job of first and foremost always bringing great content to our audience, and so whoever has that that great content um, and great message, I'm gonna find that person and and get them on the show. So um, I don't go quite to the extent you do, Robbie, where I don't like think like okay, if I have a few men in the row on the show, I I, I'll do that, but you know. uh, So first and foremost, I'm always thinking about it: what's going to be useful to people. But um, but yeah, part, I'm uh, part I'm, of it. I
0: think what's happened is that by making an intention like that, it forces me to be more proactive. Mm-hmm, yeah. So that when I'm looking ahead at the you know the the show over the next few months, I'm like, oh, I have to now do this effort for my outreach. Yeah, indeed. And that's that's yeah, like you said, it's an ongoing thing. So I'm I am hoping we stay in touch today for a lot of reasons, and um, I'm curious when we get together a year from now. We're kind of, this is the wrap up question, right? So, we're getting together and we're celebrating all that you've accomplished in the past year. What are we celebrating?
1: For me, one area, I'll say something I haven't said yet, which is getting to be a better interviewer is something I'm always working on. And I'm working on more and more and more as the show grows, of not stalling into this pattern of, okay, I'm, decent interviewer and that's good enough. And so I'm at the phase now where I'm really wanting to push myself to get better at asking questions and preparing for interviews. As as the show has grown, I have absolutely gone in the direction of preparing more and more and more for interviews. It is not at all... uh, There was a time where I prepared a little less. And I found the more I prepare, the better I am able to share the message of mm. whoever I'm interviewing. So these days, if I interview someone, I've almost certainly read their book entirely. Wow. And if I haven't, I've read a good portion of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've, I've watched YouTube videos and I've read articles by them. And I've spent three, four, five hours on prep to talk to someone in anticipation of an interview. And the audience doesn't necessarily see that visually. But what they hear is relevance in the questions. So even if someone is coming on my show and has been on 20 other shows, it's a very different conversation because I've really thought through their work and I've thought through their background and I've thought through how to leverage their experience for our audience and to really create a better experience not only for them but for our listeners. So that's something that if we got together a year from now and um, I think the indicator for me would be that the audience continues to grow. If I'm doing a good job at that, it's not. it doesn't matter what I think, really. It matters what the audience thinks. If, if I'm doing a good job at that, the, our audience will continue to grow. If I'm not doing a good job at that, then we'll be stagnant or the audience will be shrinking. And so that'll be the indicator to me that uh, I need to do a better job still of being an interviewer.
0: It's great you're still thinking about how to grow and refine your skills, even though you've clearly achieved a level of success that most people just dream of, um, that you're like, no, I got to keep iterating. And also, how do you get someone to say something they don't always say? Like um, a good friend of ours, uh, mine, do you know Dory Clark? I do know Dory. yeah. Yeah. Dory comes up on every other episode probably for me because I like her so much. She's been a friend of mine a long time. Um, and when she came on my show, she would already been on like 140 podcasts at that point. Now it's probably closer to 300. And I said to her, my goal is for you to say something or share something that you've never shared in, in an interview. Mm. And that's always my goal. It's not usually as hard as when it was with her because <laughs> there's not usually <laughs> been as much said. But I don't want people yeah. to come on and just share their like rote, you know, story that they always say. It's like always trying to get at it a little bit differently. Wow. Um and so I love your, this idea of like continual improvement. Um, I'm really excited for you. I'm excited for people to hear more about your you know, tuning in. I think the best way for people to learn about podcasts is to meet someone like you who's being interviewed. So tell us, how can people find you and follow your work? Well, the best way
1: is uh, just to go to coachingforleaders.com. The podcast airs every Monday. And for folks who want a little more, we have a free membership set up on the website. Uh, one of the things that's part of the free membership is a free audio course that's titled 10 Ways to Empower
0: the People You Lead. And so you can access all of that at coachingforleaders.com. That's great. We'll have the link. We'll have ways for people to find you on LinkedIn and Twitter, et cetera. Thanks so much, Dave. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Robbie, the pleasure is mine. Thanks so much for
0: having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dave. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 86. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. And don't forget to sign up for this Thursday's video chat about how a book could be beneficial for your business and the systems, resources, and tools I use to write and launch a best selling book despite being a work-at-home dad with the little one. If you enjoyed this episode with Dave, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talented professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week.
1: Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.